Palm Sunday, everybody. It's good to go to church at Easter time. And uh, may God uh, encourage all of you to remind your family, relatives, your friends, your neighbors, this be a good time to come with you to church. Uh, so try to bring them with you next Sunday. Amen? Uh, I'm really glad to be here. It's been a great weekend. A lot of interaction with your leadership and kind of a bittersweet moment as we think of Pastor John and Shelley stepping down uh, from their roles. And uh, I've been there. I've gone through it. It's, it's an emotional roller coaster. You're kind of really glad it's over. And uh, then you're really sorry it's over. And you kind of have a lot of anxiety of what's coming. And, uh, but yet... I think all of us, and it was said uh, just this weekend, uh, I think the elders said it last night, isn't it wonderful to have a pastor uh, leave his pulpit uh, in such a good way? Uh, he's not being charged with a crime. He's not dividing the church. He's not leaving angry. You know, he's leaving with honor and respect. And... Uh, say hallelujah. One of the elders said he'd never been in a church where he'd seen a pastor leave in a good way. And uh, unfortunately, that's true for too many people. And uh, so we honor you both and give glory to God. I just want to say this to all of you. Um, a party's coming, but the, the time when uh, Pastor John will officially step down is getting close. Some of you then will live with regret that I meant to have them over for supper and you never invited them. And some of you will live with regret, I meant to write a letter saying how you blessed me. And so I just want to encourage you uh, in these next few weeks, write them a letter. If, uh, if you were blessed with a sermon, if you were blessed with a visit, if you were blessed with counseling, if you were just blessed with their model of marriage and life, write them, let them know. That'll be a blessing to them. So um, that's all you paid me to say, John. So, uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, whether they be paper or electronic or whatever, please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke 19, the 19th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And we come to one of the great and very familiar stories of the Bible, known as the triumphal entry, the day when the Lord Jesus uh, came to Jerusalem uh, for what was going to be the last week of his life. In a very short time, he is going to be betrayed by one of his own disciples, He's going to be put through a mock trial. He's going to be found guilty. He's going to be turned over to the Romans for execution. And he's going to die. This is Sunday, and by next Friday, it'll all be over. Jesus will be dead. But, of course, we know that Friday is not the end of the story. 
And let me read to you from Luke 19, beginning at verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it. Bring it here. If anyone asks you, why why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, They set Jesus on it, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, they were silent. The very stones would cry. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Sunday morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to sing your praises, to pray, to hear the word of Scripture read to us, to meditate on it, to preach it, to believe it, and the challenge to obey it. O Holy Spirit, come. Lift up the name of Jesus. Help us to worship him. Help us, Lord, to hear your voice in our own hearts and minds. Work in us grace that our lives might be changed and perfected, made to look like Christ. Oh, Lord, we just ask for a blessing on new life. We thank you for its pastors, its elders, its leadership. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful but very challenging period of time and transition. Please bless them all. Please rebuke the devil and let him have no part in this at all. O Lord, bring to them the man of your choosing, the man that you have prepared to come and fill this pulpit in the years ahead. And Father, we ask that whoever comes would be a faithful, godly man who would preach the word without fear or favor and would be abandoned to you, but never abandoned by you. And so, God, we're asking these mercies, and I'm asking you now, oh, Lord, help me for your glory. In your name's sake, Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Now, in the back of your bulletin, you got a blank page. And so I just want to say there are some things I hope you might write down today. And one is the title, which is Blessed is the King. Blessed is the King. And I've got four points Uh, to help us as we go through uh, this wonderful text. 
um, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's my first point. He comes in the name of the Lord. And he does that because he is the Lord. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus who is the Christ. The Lord who is the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's who's riding on a donkey. The King of glory is coming in. The Lord of Sabaoth, as it says uh, in your old King James Version, which is closer uh, to the Hebrew, which means he is the Lord of hosts. He's got an army. Lord Jesus always has an army. You might not be able to see it. You might not be able to know it. Uh, The Jews didn't see it, and the Romans didn't see it. But Jesus told them, I could call on my father, and he'd send ten legions of angels. He is the Lord of hosts. You know, this confession, notice it. The people, the, the disciples start crying out, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a radical statement, and obviously the Pharisees were upset. If you were uh, an Orthodox Jew, uh, you would be horrified by this statement. It's a blasphemous statement. What do you mean he's the king? Who does he think he is? Who do you, how do you possibly get there? He's just a man. So it's really a statement of faith. It's a statement because they are confessing their own faith in him as the king. They believe in him. It says here that they were praising God for all the wonderful works that they had seen. They they had a testimony. And uh, this was testimony time in church. Except they were outside. And you know, one of the great works they had just seen, of course, if you're familiar with your Bible, was the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. And I kind of guarantee you, if you'd been at such an experience, you might have something to say about how great Jesus is. You might say, well, you know, really, what has he done? Well, something nobody else could do. He called the dead back to life. Lazarus, come forth. Man, I I don't know if Lazarus was in the crowd. I don't know if Lazarus was throwing his jacket down so the donkey could sit on it. But they had had been a witness of the miracles of God. And so this was no accident. They had seen it with their own eyes. They had been transformed by grace themselves. They had seen God work in front of them and in them. And they were confessing, Jesus is truly the Christ. Blessed is the king. Now, that word blessed is always funny to me because how do you bless God? You know, I'm asking God to bless me, which means usually something material. You know, I I want a blessing from God. I I need forgiveness. I need his love. uh, I need food on my table. I need shoes on my feet. I need a job. I need money. I need healing from my sickness. I understand blessing that way. How do I bless God? How do I give anything back to God? And really, we give to God the only thing, really, he wants from us 
And that's our praise. It's, this is like saying, hallowed be thy name. This is like saying, praise the Lord. It's like saying, which they did, Hosanna. We, we, are, we are attributing to God the glory to his name. And that's what's happening here uh, in this triumphal procession. The people are responding with joy to give God blessing. He's some kind of cool God. You know, he's not asking for the blood of your children. To, he's not asking that you take your firstborn son and burn him in the fire, you know. What he's asking for is your worship. He wants us to come that way. What does God want from you? All you got. Because if he has your worship, you see, he's got you. If he has your praise, he's got your heart. It's not going to come out of your mouth unless it's in your heart. You know, honestly, out of your mouth. It's all you've got. But it's not any material stuff. God doesn't need your money. You say, Pastor, that's dangerous. We, we need to raise our budget. Uh, don't say that. No, absolutely, God does not need your money. God, God, God can sell some of the cattle he's got on a thousand hills, right? Uh, you know, I always tell people, don't stop worrying about resources that you can't see. God has resources you don't know about. And often when we pray and we're, we're praying for our church or our own families, we get caught up in, oh, God, I can't figure out where you're going to get this from to take care of my need. Well, if you, then you'd be God if you knew where he could get it from, okay? He doesn't, he doesn't need you to know everything uh, in order for him to supply our need. Oh, he's a great God. He wants our worship. He wants our praise for all the mighty things uh, that they had seen. That was my first point. My second point is this. He comes riding on the foal of a donkey. He comes in the name of the Lord, and he comes riding on a donkey. The cult of a donkey. Now, what's significant about that? Well, in order to, to, to think about it, we've got to go back to the Old Testament. So, if, again, if you have your Bibles, now we're going to go to Zechariah. Okay? The book of Zechariah, back in the Old Testament, uh, in the ninth chapter. And let's look at the ninth verse. It says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak Peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Hallelujah. Why was it necessary on this first Palm Sunday in this triumphal procession for Jesus to take a ride on a donkey? Because it was the fulfillment of this prophecy. God had laid it out in advance as a sign. This is the one whom I'm talking about. 
You are going to ride on... Now, I was... Uh, the other day, I was looking at uh, Twitter, and one of my dear pastoral friends had done an, an, a lot of extensive research on the whole idea of the donkey versus the horse. And uh, you might say, well, what's the big deal about it? Well, people will say, okay, he's riding on a donkey, so that shows he's not the king. No, 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 no. In, 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 in that period, kings rode on donkeys, especially when they were ruling. They rode on horses when they were conquering. He comes in riding on a donkey, not because the donkey says he's not worthy to be a king, but it says he's not entering Jerusalem as a conqueror. He's coming in peace. Isn't that what Zacharias said? That this is the rule of peace? He is the king of peace. He's the king of Salem. And, he, and it's a symbolic moment that he comes in on this donkey. So this shows, uh, and right here in Zechariah, it's meant to be humble. He is the humble king. Don't you just love that where Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who, are la- who labor and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. For I am meek, lowly of heart. Come and find rest for your souls. This is this humble Lord Jesus. The condensation, Jesus condescended to even come here. The lowliness of Christ is not that he's riding on a donkey. It's that he became a human being. You know, he was born in a stable born of a woman. I mean, that in itself is a little icky for God. You know, just the idea to become flesh and blood, he who had filled eternity, he who created all things at the word of his power, he becomes a human being. He condescends. He who sits up high came down low and lived among us. The donkey is just a further symbol of his humility, but it's not declaration that he's not the king. This this passage from the Old Testament says he was coming as the king, bringing salvation with him. That is a fantastic passage of scripture. I just, I really get a kick out of this donkey. And, uh, you know, I always think if God can use a jackass, he can use me. And, uh, And he could use you. Uh, I think about, you know, what what was the name of this donkey? You know, uh, here's a homework assignment when you go home today. Try to think of names for this donkey. Maybe we could call him Needed, because it says the Lord had need of him. Now, I know in our reform circles, we always say, well, God doesn't need anything. Well, that's true. At the same time, God always uses people. And things. So he, he does have need of you. And sometimes work doesn't get done because you are not available. That's another good name for a donkey. Available. Uh, if you are not giving yourself over to the Lord, uh, things won't get done. So needed, available, maybe prophecy because he's, this donkey was prophesied. Or a good Presbyterian name, we could call him predestinated. That'd be a good name for a donkey. 
or maybe humility. That'd be a good name for the town. Well, that, anyway, those are some ideas. You can work out your own. My third point is he comes in confidence. He comes in confidence. He comes in compelling power. Now, you notice uh, there's something that's a little subtle in this passage uh, that is a reflection back uh, to his birth. In Luke chapter 2, verse 14, do you remember the angels making this announcement? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. You, you remember that from your Christmas story? Well, here it shows up again in Palm Sunday, because that's part of what the crowd is saying. That's an interesting connection. The, the announcement of the angels is now fulfilled in the coming of Jesus to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. But he comes in confidence and compelling power. Uh, You know, this is the great confrontation, of course, uh, where the Pharisees, they hear this being said about him. The king has come, uh, and they say, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. That ain't right. Don't let them be saying this about you. Uh, Admit who you are. You're just a man. You're an itinerant rabbi. Uh, You got some popularity. You got got a crowd with you. But let's not go too far. Let's not pump yourself up. And, you know, I love action movies where, where the hero says things like, I have certain skills. You know, or... You have no idea who you're dealing with. And that's exactly what's happening here. Tell your disciples to shut up. He said, I tell you the truth. If they were quiet, rocks themselves would cry. And that's a little audacious, don't you think? It's a little audacious. But let's look a little bit at some other scripture here to see if it really is audacious. Uh, I think of Romans 8. And I I think it says this in Romans 8, starting at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, (coughs) groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Jesus is saying, "You you don't hear it, do you? You don't hear the groaning in the ground. You don't hear the groaning in the rocks. They're waiting for me to tell them who we are. 
They're, they're waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. They're waiting for my glory. And I tell you, if the people shut up, these rocks are going to break out. And they're going to break out with some rhythm. They're going to break out with some praise. They're going to break out with some joy. This ain't going to be Presbyterian worship. It's going to go all Pentecostal on you. Think of uh, Colossians chapter 1. How audacious can you be? But this is who Jesus is. Now, Now, friend, if you're sitting here and you're not yet saved, please understand this. You've got to deal with this one who we're talking about. You will either deal with him now or you will deal with him at the judgment. But please understand who we're talking about. Why do we Christians worship him? Why are we so excited about him? You may say, but what a fan. I mean, even if it's true that he got killed, it's a tragic story. It's not, there's nothing to be excited about Jesus. What could he possibly do for us? He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Who is this? Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He was on his way to fulfill his mission. He came to die on purpose. So that three days later he might defeat death. And next Sunday we will gather to celebrate that one more time. But here he comes in absolute confidence, knowing who he is, knowing what his father has asked him to do, called him to do. Though it will be a struggle, though it will be agonizing, though he will ask the father if there's any other way, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He is the creator, the firstborn of all creation. And he can feel the groaning in the earth. Tell him, Jesus. And if, if you won't let us, let us declare who you are. My fourth point is simply this. First time he came, in peace. But the next time he comes, he will come as a conqueror. The next time there will be no donkey. There will be a horse. And we see this in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation, please turn with me there as we come to the end of our sermon. The book of Revelation, the end of the book, culmination of history. And finally, the Lord Jesus is revealed in his victory over our sin, 
and over all the injustice and sorrow and misery of the world and over death. And he finally ties it all together. Says John says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. The name by which he is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the one whom we worship. This is the one whom we say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, if you're not yet a brother and sister, if you, if you have not yet bowed to this king, do it now. Do it now. Let him conquer you with his love rather than with his justice at the end. And see in him the lover of your soul hope of your life. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus. We are here today and tell you we do not deserve him. We have been a sinful, wicked people. We do not deserve to be forgiven of our sins, cleansed of our foolishness, but we are grateful We are grateful, Lord Jesus, that you came to die for us because you loved us. Thank you that you came humbly. Thank you that you willingly offered yourself as a sacrifice for our sins. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to keep our mouths shut, but please give us the strength. Give us the energy. Give us the passion to bless your name, to rejoice. Oh, Lord, we don't want rocks taking our place. We want to be first in line to give you the glory that you deserve. Thank you for coming and come again soon, Lord Jesus.